Good morning and welcome to the 7am Bible. This is Paul Chapman and this is episode number four in this series. I don't know how long this is going to go for, but we shall see. And wherever you are, out there on the road, maybe you're going to work, maybe you're already at work, at home, I hope you enjoy our meditation this morning. Dear Father in heaven, we thank you for your love and mercy to us. We thank you for waking us to a brand new day and we thank you for life and all the things that you've given to us, most of all for your dear son Jesus. And we pray that you will bless us as we meditate upon your word this morning. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you're listening for the first time, we've been looking this week at the life of Jacob, the early years. Yesterday we saw the pitfalls of parental favoritism. Isaac, we were told, loved Esau, and the Bible says that Rebekah loved Jacob. Now this set the stage for the saga that would follow, a saga that resulted in a dispute over the birthday blessings that belonged to the firstborn. As I mentioned yesterday, those birthday blessings, the birthright, consisted of a double portion of the inheritance, that is the material inheritance, and the spiritual preeminence that came with it. Now today, I want to spend some time considering what God counts for as a requirement for the birthright, that is the right to an inheritance not only in this world, but also in the world to come. You see, from God's perspective, the birthday blessings are given, or in Esau's case, retained, based on attitude. What kind of attitude? Well, let's take a look at this. It's brought out in who God loved rather than who the parents loved. So who did God love of these two boys? The Bible says in Psalms 47 verse 4, He shall choose our inheritance for us the excellency of Jacob whom he loved. So God loved Jacob. But note, I believe God's love for Jacob was not arbitrary. Now Malachi indicates why. He says here in Malachi chapter 1, verses 2 and 3, Yet you say, now talking here to Israel as a nation which was Jacob's descendants, I have loved you, saith the Lord. Yet you say, wherein hast thou loved us? Was not Esau Jacob's brother, saith the Lord? Yet I loved Jacob, and I hated Esau, and laid his mountains and his heritage waste for the dragons of the wilderness. So here in Malachi, we're told that God hated Esau, By doing what? Laying his mountains and his heritage waste for the dragons of the wilderness. In other words, Esau came to waste. Why was this? Their destiny as a nation was a consequence of their actions as a nation. Particularly when Jacob's descendants were finally taken into captivity. And their capital city, that is Israel's capital city, Jerusalem, destroyed for the first time. Now, note who was there gloating in the calamity. I'm reading from Obadiah chapter 1 on this. It's talking here about Edom, which is Esau's descendants, the nation that rose from Esau. For thy violence against thy brother Jacob, shame shall cover thee, and thou shalt be cut off forever. In the day that thou stoodest on the other side, and the day that the strangers carried away the captive, his forces and foreigners entered into his gates, and cast lots upon Jerusalem, even thou wast one of them. Did you get that? 
In the day when Jerusalem was destroyed, the first time when the Babylonians took the uh, Judah captive and destroyed the city, it says here that Edom, which is Esau, was Esau's descendants, they stood by there in his gates and cast lots upon Jerusalem. But God goes on to say here, Thou shouldest not have looked on the day of thy brother in the day that he became a stranger. Neither shouldest thou have rejoiced over the children of Judah in the day of their destruction. Can you believe that? Rejoicing over your brother's children's destruction. Neither shouldest thou have spoken proudly in the day of distress. Thou shouldest not have entered into the gate of my people in the day of their calamity. Yea, thou shouldest not have looked on their affliction in the day of their calamity, nor have laid hands on their substance in the day of their calamity. That substance, we can come back to, to Esau or his, and his descendants' pitfall. They loved the substance. They loved the wealth. They loved the, the material things. And so they, they forgot their relationship with, uh, to their brother. Here, neither shouldst thou have stood in the crossway to cut off those of his that did escape. Neither shouldst thou have delivered up those that, of his that did remain in the day of distress. So here it is. Esau's destiny as a nation. It's not that God loved Esau as an individual any less than Jacob, but in the actions of Esau as a nation, God took no delight. Consequently, they were left to suffer retributive judgment. But why did God love Jacob? I believe it was due to Jacob's pursuit of righteousness, that is a godly character, and the blessing of God. Jesus indicates that that is who the blessings come to. In his Sermon on the Mount, we find that in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus said in verse 6, Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. You see, Jacob sought after righteousness, and he attained it. But not all of his descendants would do that. Sadly, only a remnant of Israel's, which is Jacob's literal descendants, as I've said, would be saved. Why? Well, it boils down to how they sought after righteousness. You see, their focus was on trying to keep the law without a heart attitude that loves to keep it. Romans 9 explains it for us in the outcome of Israel as a nation in their pursuit of righteousness versus the Gentiles. The Gentiles are those outside of the nation of Israel. It says here in Romans 9 verse 30, What shall we say then? That the Gentiles which followed not after righteousness have attained to righteousness, even the righteousness which is of faith. But Israel, which followed after the law of righteousness, that is the outward external observance of the law, has not obtained to the law of righteousness. Wherefore? Because they sought it not by faith but as it were by the works of the law, that is by outward obedience. For they stumbled at the stumbling stone, as it is written, Behold, I lay in Zion a stumbling stone and a rock of offense, and whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. So here the Apostle Paul is indicating to us the real problem. Israel was pursuing righteousness without a focus on the source of righteousness, which is Jesus Christ. He is our righteousness. And that's who we are to seek after. You see, righteousness comes not by works, but by faith in Jesus Christ. But this pursuit of righteousness begins with the attitude of the heart. 
a heart that has a true longing for righteousness, a longing for God. David expressed the attitude in these words. He says in Psalms 119 and verse 10, With my whole heart have I sought thee, O let me not wander from thy commandments. And Job expressed it in this way, I have esteemed the words of his mouth more than my necessary food. That is, Job's talking about the words of God here. He esteemed God's words more necessary than food. Do we do that? That esteem was manifested in Job obeying the commandments of his lips. The first part says in verse 12. So as Jesus said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. That's what it means to pursue righteousness. If it is, well, in the words of one of my favorite Christian authors, Alan White, let your heart break for the longing it has for God, for the living God, with the persevering faith of Jacob, with the unyielding persistence of Elijah, claim for yourself all that God has promised. And you'll find that in uh, her book, uh, Christ Object Lessons, page 149. So what has God promised? Well, Jesus says in John 6, 30, uh, 35 to 37, I am the bread of life. He that cometh to me shall never hunger, and he that believeth on me shall never thirst. All that the Father giveth me shall come to me, and him that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out. That's Jesus' promise to you. He will not cast you out if you come to him. No matter how you are, just come. So coming back to Esau, the birthright brought an obligation on the firstborn son to give themselves over to the service of God. The one who received the birthright was to become the priest of the family. Remember in those days it was a patriarchal society, so the priest of the family would have been priest for the entire extended family, and they had an obligation as the priest to devote their life to the service of God. And Alan White writes on this in Patriarchs and Prophets, page 177. Like Abraham, he must be obedient to the divine requirements. In marriage, in his family relations, in public life, he must consult the will of God. Now, this is the part that Esau found so hard to come to terms with. Esau had no love for devotion, no inclination to a religious life. The requirements that accompanied the spiritual birthright were an unwelcome and even hateful restraint to him. You see, the law of God, which was the condition of the divine covenant with Abraham, was regarded by Esau as a yoke of bondage. Bent on self-indulgence, he desired nothing so much as liberty to do as he pleased. To him, power and riches, feasting and reveling, were happiness. He gloried in the unrestrained freedom of his wild, roving life. You know, this is a, we're talking here about hedonism. That's what Esau was bent on. We see this later on because it says he despised the birthright. He despised what it would mean, giving himself over to God, sacrificing all the, that he counted as pleasure in this world. How great did this attitude of Esau contrast with the attitude of his brother? You see, Jacob wanted nothing but the spiritual birthright. He longed for the pleasure of God in his life, and he sought it. This is why God loved Jacob, 
By human reckoning, the birthright belonged to Esau, but not by God's reckoning. You see, God judges us not by our birth, not by our rank in life, but, if I could quote a great uh, man, Martin Luther King, the content of our character. That's how God judges us. That's why the Apostle Paul makes the appeal to us when it comes to the content of our characters in Romans 13 verse 14. Put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, pursue righteousness or godliness. And Paul goes on to say, make not provision for the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof. In other words, in living your life today, don't put yourself in a position where you'll compromise your faith. Don't put yourself in the pathway of temptation. You know, we need to take seriously the Lord's Prayer. Lord, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Today, you might encounter a thousand devices, a thousand evils that seem attractive to the flesh. Some of these will be almost too much to handle. But remember, God is always on hand to deliver you from the evil. Though God will allow the temptations to come, as Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 10 verse 13, God will also provide a way of escape that you'll be able to stand up under the temptation. And that way of escape is found in complete trust in Jesus. So as you go about your plans today, don't make the mistake of Esau in living only for yourself. Live for Jesus, God's only begotten Son who lived and died for you. If you do, then the birthday blessings will be yours. The blessings of righteousness, peace and joy in Jesus. And with it, an inheritance forever in this world made new. Won't that be wonderful? It's yours today for the taking. Dear Father in heaven, we thank you so much for these birthday blessings of righteousness, of peace and of joy in Jesus. We pray that today in our lives as we go about our duties today that we will pursue this life, this life of righteousness, this life of godliness, this life of living for Jesus, a life spent in blessing others, not ourselves. And I pray that you'll keep us today, Lord, from the temptation and the evil that comes our way, that as you have promised in your word, you'll make for us always a pathway of escape, a way that we can find power to overcome the evil in this world, Lord. And that power lies in our firm faith and reliance upon Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Saviour. And so we pray all these things in and through his name. Amen. So I hope you've enjoyed the meditation this morning. I've called this Birthday Blessings. Who gets them? Well, the reality is, if it's your birthday today, you certainly get them. And if it's not your birthday, you get them too. That's how God treats the birthright. He blesses all who are pursuing righteousness, peace, and joy in Jesus. So I trust you have a great day today. Take care. God bless. And I look forward to you joining me for the next episode of the 7am Bible. Searing 
Have made 